0: get to exhibit these qualities i pray you turn our hearts to your word i pray your spirit would show us the things you'd want us to receive this morning fill us with your spirit we pray in jesus name amen you may be seated well good morning I'd like to start with the question that's been on everyone's minds all week long. You know what it is? Can we get the picture up there? Is it black or blue, or is it white and gold? So we're going to do a very scientific poll right now. That dress is either white and gold, or it's black and blue. No, sit down, sit down. Come to order. <laughs> Scientifically, Christy, no persuasive, you know, nothing like that, you know. Not like, well, she said, okay, let's do it like this. White and gold, would you raise your hand? Look at that, look at that. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> Black and blue. Hey. It changed? You just, wait. Wait. All right, so how many of you just saw it change? I didn't didn't change the picture. I didn't do that. Oh, okay, okay, not this morning. Okay. So I know a good psychiatrist I would like to put you in touch with. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Okay. Actually, it did change for me, too. Uh, A few days ago, I saw something different. Right now, I'm seeing white and gold. But yesterday was definitely blue. Yesterday. All right. Uh, apparently this is the original dress. Anybody see blue? <laughs> okay, yeah. If you're colorblind, maybe that's purple, but you know, you get the point. Okay. All right. The the, the debate rages on. Uh, apparently the lighting source in the picture uh, plays a plays a factor in that the light in the picture, and then the light in the room that you're in, and the the brightness of the screen. Pl- plays a factor, which is maybe why on my computer it looked different than on my phone. I I don't know. But they say lighting affects your eyes. Um, Optical illusions, I think, will chalk it up, too. But we all know it truly is, Christy, blue and black. Yeah, that's right. That's right. If that's the only preaching I get this morning, that will be worthwhile. That's right. That's right. Okay. Um, Can we put up the, the, the Beatitude Mountain So, oh, that's really light. All right, so is that gold? Okay, okay, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, I don't know how well you can see that. I'm sorry, I didn't know how that came up on the screen. But if you want to imagine in your mind a mountain, and we're working our way, we worked our way up the mountain of Beatitudes, and we started with, blessed are the poor in spirit. You can't even begin to come to God unless you say, I need you. If you have no need of God then that's fine. You want to have a relationship with Him. This is not for you. you know? But if you do come to God and say, I need you, then you're poor in spirit. You have, you have no spiritual currency. And then you start going up the mountain and you're now mourning. So you realize, not only do I have nothing to offer God, I have no spiritual currency of my own, but actually I've made a mess of my life. I've sinned a lot. My life is dirty and I need Jesus to forgive me. And that causes repentance or mourning. Blessed are they that mourn, for they're going to be comforted. Now you've realized your sin, you've realized how messed up you've made your life, so now as you work your way up the mountain, you can say, blessed are the meek. The meek are the humble ones, the ones uh, with, with, with courtesy and gentleness, because they realize life is not all about them. They realize if they have gifts and abilities, it's not just to use for them, it's to use for other people. Life is about putting other people first, that's what Christ did. So now you can be meek. As you keep working your way to the top, you get to the top and you're at, you have this hunger and thirst for righteousness. So now you're saying, God, I want you to fill me up with all sorts of righteous things that I can't, I can't conjure these up on my own. You, you're you're going to have to help me with this. And so you have this, this deep desire to live like Jesus lived. You, you see him as li- living the ultimate sort of life. And you want that life for yourself. You're hungering for Him. You're hungering for righteousness. And in a sense, when you get saved, God says, it's yours. All of Jesus' righteousness in a legal sense is credited to you. It's yours. But on a day-to-day basis, you still have to hunger for that because even though God gives me Jesus' perfection, I don't always act perfect. Far from it. So I need to live out this righteousness and continue to hunger for it. And the promise is, God will fill me up. Now, uh, as, as we continue to look at this, uh, I think there are also connections we can make with, with these different Beatitudes and each other. You know, you, you can kind of draw a line across and connect different ones together. I think that's very possible here. So now we get down to, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. One of the things God fills your life with, and by the way, the first three are things that you're doing in relation to God Primarily. You know, I, I come to God and I'm poor in spirit. I come to God and I realize I've messed things up and I'm mourning. But you get to the other side, you can't show mercy to God because God has no sin. So mercy is something I show to other people and God gives me a merciful heart because He has had mercy on me. He's forgiven me everything. Mercy refers to kindness and compassion and, and, and even pity that that someone 's messed up their life, and, and the effects of sin have just just devastated them have led to all these bad consequences and You see that and you go, "I feel mercy for that person I want to I show them mercy okay so now you 're coming down the mountain and you 're hitting mercy, and then you come to blessed are the pure in heart. so now you have this desire to be to be pure of heart you want you know jesus perfection's been given to you, and his righteousness is yours. But you want your, your deepest heart to be pure, your thoughts, the stuff going on in here, to be pure. To, to not have those, those negative emotions to other people like jealousy and anger and rage and bitterness and brawling and slander the way Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. You don't want to have lustful thinking. You want, to, you want purity of heart. And at stake with the purity piece, if you missed last week, is um, that you'll see God. Your intimacy with God is connected to the purity of your heart. On on the one hand, God has given you his Holy Spirit that lives inside you 24-7. He's not going to take away his Holy Spirit. But on the other hand, the closeness I experience to God is connected to the purity of my heart. As you go down the mountain, you're getting to the bottom, and today is blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, They will be called sons of God. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then at the very bottom is blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness. So you can see a couple connections here where hunger, hunger for righteousness at the top, and at the bottom is persecuted for righteousness. So you have this hunger to live like Jesus, and then you start living like him. And the world sees it and says, we don't like that. We're going to insult that. We're going to push that down. We're going to oppose that. Persecution. It looks different here, maybe than other countries, but but we're going to oppose what you're doing. And and you're saying, why why wouldn't the world see this as a beautiful picture of what humanity should be? So now I'll go back to my dress, dress illustration. Why is it that a Christian standing in front of the world doing what Christians are supposed to do, why wouldn't that be incredibly attractive to the whole world? I think in some sense it ought to be. And yet if we take Jesus' words seriously, you get to the bottom of the mountain and people say, I see your meekness and I despise it. Because the powerful get ahead. The intelligent and the strong get ahead. And you want to make your millions, you better promote self, self, self. Okay? Okay? meekness, you need to use your strengths for you. Because you only got one life to live, and that's your life. They despise that sort of thing. And so we've said, the world doesn't get this. I mean, th- I mean so, so, so you stand up in front of them, and you know, I am blessed to live like Jesus. And on the one hand, people in the world would say, many of them would say, Jesus was a great moral teacher. But if you look at the range of Jesus' teachings you're going to find things that you hate in there. I mean, if you're being honest. As a a non-believer, you're going to find things you don't like as part of his teaching. So I think it was Gandhi that said, I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians, because your Christians don't act like your Christ. And on the one hand, I say that's a convicting statement for us, the church. On the other hand, I say, nah, if you looked at the whole range of Jesus' teaching, you wouldn't like him either, because he would demand that you call him the Son of God, Deity. And bow before him, which you would never do. I don't think you'd like him that much. And on the day when you stand before him and every knee will bow, I don't think you're going to like him that much on that day, but you will bow before him. So I think the illusion is that we can live like this and the world can see this and go, that's ridiculous. You Christians are ridiculous the way you're living. This isn't the best way to live. In fact, I hate the way you're living and I'm going to be pushing back against it. That's the illusion. And yet we know this is the blessed life. This is the blessed life. Let's jump back into it this morning. Okay, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. After the Beatitudes, we are jumping into Sermon on the Mount, so we're just going to keep going. Matthew 5. We are in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that before, right? That's how Jesus started, the kingdom of heaven. And he ends the same way. Blessed are you when people insult you, Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. The city on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven all right so let's start with blessed <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> blessed are the peacemakers blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of god now i think it might be a little ironic that we see so much fighting in the church, I think we just need to say that at the beginning that th- th- there should be deep. There's something. There should be deeply distressing. And on the other hand, we know Satan's at work, and Satan doesn't stop working the moment you become a Christian. In fact, he tries to stir it up. But even though we know there will be conflict, I think it should sadden us when some of our lives are marked by. Uh, 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 this, this conflict that we contribute to. Are we contributing to conflict in the church? Jesus is blessed are the peacemakers. In other words, every church ought to be a church full of peacemakers. All of us. Every one of us. Not just the ones who are really good at it, or the ones that are really gracious, or the ones who, who just know how to smooth things over. It's like everybody in this room ought to be a peacemaker. And so you, would, you know conflict's going to arise because Satan's at work, but being a peacemaker means we should work it through. We, 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 we should and we must work it through because we're the body of Christ and we're a group of peacemakers. Does Three Lakes need however many number of churches we have here? Do, do we need this many different denominations in the Northwoods? I'm not anti-denomination, by the way. I'm not. I I know that's a way of keeping the peace and and, and maintaining doctrinal purity in in these different places and what they believe. I get that. But it just goes to show we can get very comfortable with not living at peace with each other. And that's not what God has called us to. We're a church of peacemakers. And you don't have to look far at the national level to see that peace is something that we don't see a lot of in this country. I mean, it's not just in the church. It's in politics. I mean, we all, we all know that. You, many people just choose a party and that's your party. You know, Republican, Democrat, whatever. And, and, and you're going to go with them on many things. And, and you're going to be uh, violently opposed to what they're doing over there. No, no peace. We, we, we don't get together too much. But the church is supposed to be peacemaking. What does it mean to make peace? So let's talk about the description. It's in your notes, if you're, if you're taking notes. Peacemakers pursue peace the same way Christ did, by reconciling relationships at great personal cost. How do we do this peace thing? Well, here's Colossians 1, 19 and 20. You can listen or you could look there. Uh, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. That's Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And here's the important part when it comes to how to make peace. By making peace through his blood shed on a cross. So God makes peace with us by sending his son Jesus to make the peace. We destroyed the peace. Let's be clear on that. Human beings destroyed peace with God. Every time you choose to sin, you agree that you're destroying peace with God. But God wants to reestablish a relationship with you because He loves you. How does He do that? He sends His Son to die for it, die on a cross for it. Didn't deserve it. So that, may, that should cause us to step back and think okay, if I'm in a conflict with somebody, am I supposed to make peace differently than Jesus made it with me? No. And yet, you, you, you can't be crucified for the person you're in conflict with. That doesn't work. But you can pursue peace at personal cost to yourself. You can go to great lengths to establish peace. You can do peace in a way where you have to say, this is not about me, I'm going to put my own interests aside. Like Jesus set all of his rights as God aside to come down to earth and and, and to sweat and to suffer and to cry and, and, and all the things that happened to him to reestablish peace with us. Can you set things aside in order to have peace with somebody else? In other words, all I'm saying is, if you want peace in your conflict, you're going to have to pay for it. And it doesn't mean you deserve to pay for it. The other person deserves to pay for it, probably, right? We deserve to pay for our own sins. But if you would pay some of that costly price you could reconcile a relationship that has been broken for years. It's possible. Will you pay for it? That's not a word anybody wants to hear today. But it's the Word of God. By nature, our problem is uh, we tend to say too much and we want to have things our way. Remember James 1, "...be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God requires." Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Our problem is we want our agenda to be known, to to be done, kind of my will be done. And often, if I if I have to have my way, we're not going to have peace. If someone has wronged me and I feel the need to tell everybody about it, there's going to be no peace. But it feels good to tell everybody you've been wronged. Well, maybe you should tell a trusted advisor... A trusted person who can speak into your life but if you've got to broadcast it to all of your friends there'll be no peace you may feel justified and you may be hurt but you've just compounded the issue because you had to, to tell everybody about it and if you've got to give back what you've been given if you've got to throw harsh words back at the one that's speaking harshly to you well you may deserve to say some words back to them they may have it coming I understand that but maybe you pay the price and keep the mouth closed and pursue peace. I know there's times I want to say things back to people, and I absolutely believe 100% that I'm right. Maybe I'm not right. I'll just put that out there. But I believe in the moment that I would be right to say something back to somebody. Is that the way of peace? Is that the way? Now, we do have to get down to the nitty-gritty of sin and talk about what the sin is. Don't get me wrong. Ignoring it is not what I'm suggesting here. But it's, can I set my own thing aside? Let me put it like this. I think you have a how thing in your in your notes there. How do, how do we do this? Um, I, I have three or four things that I think you ought to think about doing. Um, oh, by the way, this applies really well to, I always talk about, in, in premarital counseling, I always talk about, um, when, you're, when you're first married and, and you go to parties, you know, and people want to know how's the new marriage going, you know who you are. You know, you kind of want to see, like, how's it going in your home? You know, you've been married for three months. And you're hoping to get something out of them, you know. And as, as a young couple, sometimes you're all too willing to tell the story on your spouse, you know. Well, guess what they do, and it drives me crazy, you know. And the people at the party are laughing. That's great. We know that's how it is. But you're killing your spouse, you know. Be quiet. Be quiet. So we always talk about that in in premarital counseling. Um, So I say this, control your tongue. We've got to control our tongue if there's going to be peace. You've got to be very careful what you say because there are some things that you could say and they would be true, but they wouldn't be helpful. You know, isn't that Ephesians 4 um, when it talks about saying things that build other people up? I'm not going to quote the verse right, but it's Ephesians 4. We're supposed to say things that build the other person up. I, I know I know how that goes. That it may benefit those who listen. That's the phrase that always sticks out to me. That it may benefit those who listen. Do you say things only that benefit those who listen? Or do you say things because you want to get that word, that, that truthful dagger in there? We're going to have to be Thinking about how we say what we say if we want to make peace. Because truth, truth needs to be said. How it's said needs to be careful. Anybody else, and, and I, I want to be careful how I say this, but, you, you know, we do peace summits, right? And we, we, nations talk about making peace. Wouldn't it be better to just do peace, though, And not just talk about it. To actually live it and do it and take action and not just discuss it. I don't know. I'm probably way too naive on that. But it seems like there's a lot of talk. And it doesn't often yield like peace on the ground for real. So let's be careful what we say because we can fall in this trap too. We're going to talk. And then nothing good comes of it because you've said way too much or you said it in such a way that the other person couldn't receive it. We've got to think about that. And sometimes we just need to be quiet all together. Uh, there's, a, there's a man I know um, that I respect a lot, and, and, I would, and this is in Watoma, and I would notice if we're in a group of people, sometimes somebody would bring up a story that you realize they shouldn't be telling the group, right? Like you just, you just you ever been, you've been there, right? The group's talking, and someone starts talking about somebody that's not in the group in a negative way, and everybody kind of feels that awkwardness. And as a man, you're not sure, like, I don't know how women do it, but as a man, why, why was that funny? <laughs> okay, as a man, I think I've felt this, like, do I just call this person out in front of five or six other guys? You, stop, ta- stop saying that. Like, that's awkward. Like, who wants to be around that guy that's calling people out? But yet, that story shouldn't be shared. And we shouldn't be hearing it. This is Pastor Brian territory, right? Those of you who are hearing Pastor Brian, his famous thing was, Whoa, wait a minute, you need to talk to, you know. That's, that's the answer. That's the answer. Whoa, wait a minute, you need to talk to... If you've got a problem with that person, you need to talk to them. If they say, I'm not talking to them, I'm talking to you guys about it. No, no. Now, I got sidetracked there thinking of Pastor Brian. Um, My friend did it this way, and and I respect him a lot as a spiritual mentor and uh, just a godly man. He would just forcefully change the subject, you know? Like, he'd just bring up something altogether different. Like, you're talking about Joe, we're talking about football. You know, and he just started, I watched the game last night, and you're like, wait a minute, that thought we are talking about Joe. Oh, we're not talking about Joe. Right. And that was a very low confrontation, but I think we all felt it in the moment that here's a godly man who's directing the conversation in a different way. He didn't walk away like, you sinners, you know, right? Y- you could. You could walk away from that, and you'd be within your rights to say, this is gossip, and I'm not standing for it. But how do I do it in a way that makes peace here and lets everybody? That's a good way to do it. It's a good way to do it. I love Pastor Brian, though. Whoa, wait a minute. You need to talk to. I think as, as a culture, hopefully we say that more and more. And, and we continue to say it forever. Because if you have a problem with somebody, you shouldn't be broadcasting it to your friends. You should be talking about it with the person. So control your tongue. I mentioned this. You've got to set aside your agenda. What do I want to get out of this confrontation? Well, I want them to see things my way and see that they've hurt me. And, you know, we have a list of things. And, yes, people do need to know how they've offended us. I understand that. But what if you set all of that aside so that you could ask God, God, what do you want to do in this conversation? What, what, what's your goal here? Is your goal to vindicate me and show this person how terrible they are? Is that the goal of this conversation? Or is the goal that they might grow and follow you more closely? And that I might have peace with them because they've realized they've hurt me? That's a pretty good goal. But blasting them is not a good goal. Set aside your agenda, ask God what His agenda is. Consider the gospel. Consider dying to yourself. What does it mean that I have to die to myself when I come to this person and talk about it? Or, say you get confronted. Many, many times we get confronted. You have no idea you even said or did anything. You, you have no idea. You're clueless. Really? That hurts you? I had no idea. Could you die to yourself in that moment when you hear that you've did, done something and say, I want to be at peace with you and I see that I said something that makes you not at peace. Let's make this right. I'm going to die to myself. not going to justify myself. I'm going to die to myself. And we're going to make this right. You've got to consider the gospel. Jesus came to earth to die for you, to reconcile you. What can you do to reconcile with your brother or sister? It will cost you. Take costly action. That's the last one. Take costly action. It's going to be painful for me to admit this, but... You know, you did that thing to me, and you said that thing to me, and it makes me so angry. And then I went out and I told people about it. Now I've sinned. That would be costly, wouldn't it? To admit that you have a problem, too, when they're the one that started it. We've done that since we've been kids, right? You started it. You started it. That doesn't work when you make peace. Well, you started it. And we know it, even as kids, it doesn't work. Okay, so the blessing here is you will be called sons of God. Sons of God. If you're a peacemaker, God looks at you and says, you're my son, you're my daughter, you belong to me, I'm your dad. Which means if you stir up conflict... If you're the one that's gossiping, if you're the one that's saying harsh things, if you're the one that's creating division, not over truth, by the way. I know the Bible can create division when you stand on it, right? Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace but the sword. I'm going to turn a man against his, his parents, you know? If you stand on the truth and it brings division, I'm not talking about that right now. But if you stir up conflict by the way you act and the things that you do, if, you're just, if that's just what happens... Whose son or daughter are you? And it can't be God's. Because God's kids are peacemakers. Satan stirs up division. He stirs up strife. Are you letting him use you to bring division in the church or in your family? Okay, so we could say more in two weeks, I'm talking about this again, because Jesus talks about it again. And he talks about having anger with someone and what you should do about it. Can I just ask that you be there, be here in two weeks, or listen to it online? I think it's going to be a hugely important message for us in in two weeks. How do I, even in a deeper sense, how do I deal with this whole relational strife thing? How do I work that out? Two weeks, we're going to look at it again. In Matthew 5. Okay? And, and that week, I want to issue a challenge to you. So hold off until then. Or, go this week to somebody and have a conversation. That's fine with me too. But I do want to issue you a challenge in two weeks. Alright, want to move on. I want to move on. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, Some scholars debate is this, two beatitudes or one, because Jesus says, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness, and then he goes on to say more things. You know, blessed are you when people insult you, that's verse 11. Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I happen to think that Jesus is just expanding on it, you know. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are you when they insult you, persecute you, slander you, speak against you. He's just kind of explaining what he means by persecution. This is another tough one. I feel like he saved his hardest punches for the American church for last. Um, here we are. So what's the, what's the result? What's the response of all of this blessedness? You're so blessed because you're spore, poor in spirit, meek, mourning, hungering for righteousness, merciful. You're so blessed. And you're so blessed that people are going to persecute you. Yes, that's what we're saying. People are going to love you so much because you act like Jesus. No, they're actually going to oppose you because you act like Jesus. That's the reaction of people against a spiritual person. Now, some people will be drawn to you because God's Spirit is drawing them, right? We know that. Some people will say to you, I want what you have. What do you have? How did your marriage get spared? When, when, it looked, when, when you thought things were going to break apart... How did you make things right with that friend? I once had a woman um, call me. Her, her son was attending youth group in Watoma. And uh, her son had gotten into a fight with somebody. And it was like outside in the dark. And I didn't see it. I didn't see what happened. But I heard about it later. And the son got hurt. I forget. Something happened to him where he got hurt. And so they didn't go to our church. This is just a kid in the community that started coming to youth group. And the mom called me irate, irate, and chewed me out. And I remember, I remember thinking, I'm going to tell her that her son, as far as the story I heard, was stirring up trouble for himself. He was picking fights, you know. I think he had a big part in this deal. But before I did that, I just sympathized and said, you know, you sent your kid to a church function, and he should be safe here we have adult youth leaders and they didn't see this happen. I didn't see it happen. We need to see what's going on. And if kids are outside, we need to make sure our eyes are on them to see if they're getting into trouble or not. And there was a long pause, awkward pause, because I was waiting to see what she would say. And she said, what was your name again? Niall. And the whole conversation shifted. Because I know her son stirred up trouble for himself. But can I sympathize with a mother who wants her son to be safe at church? Oh, yes, I can. Oh, yes, I can. Can I hear her chew me out and not get angry back at her and not try to throw it back at how she's raising her son to be a violent young man? I can hold my tongue. I can do that. I don't think she was a Christian, but she had some words to say about Christians. And, and, and I just needed to take it. I needed to accept it. The persecuted live and suffer like their Savior. That's our description here. It's John 15. You can look there or I will read it. Uh, John 15, eight th- 18 through 20 says this. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, they would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servants greater than his master. If they persecute me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. They will treat you in this way because of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me. People don't know God. A lot of people don't know God. And so you come displaying God to them and they want to oppose that. You come with your beatitude qualities of meekness and they say you're weak and weakness is foolish. By the way, many Christians don't come in meekness. We come in power. You know, We, we come to, to stir up the pot and to tell people how wrong... You know, could we do it in a way that's more meek and yet speak the truth? I think that'd be powerful to people. Some people would see it and accept it. But when you display these qualities, when you hunger for righteousness, when the world is hungering for, name the sin, you're going to look like you're holier than thou, even though all you're saying is there's a better way to live according to God's standards. I think blessed are the persecuted has to be one of those Searching statements like like pure in heart. Pure in heart is one of those one for men that just should should go to the core of who you are, uh, in particular, and, and women too. Am I pure of heart? But am I being? Am I experiencing opposition because of the way I live my Christian life? If you're not, what's wrong with you? You know, if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. If they insult Jesus, they're going to insult you. And they're not insulting you. Let's talk about this for a second. When they do insult you, it's not for these reasons. It's for righteousness. It's not for these reasons. Let's talk about some of those reasons they, that you can't count as persecution. This is IRS season, right? This is tax season, you know? Some things you can't claim, right? If you act belligerent in your Christianity and try to shove it down people's throat... And if they insult you because of that, sorry, that's not persecution for righteousness. You can't claim that. I made that up right in the spot, by the way. I had no idea I was going to say that. Good old tax season. <laughs> um, you can't claim that. If you're just acting foolish and acting rude to the non-believers around you, that's just stupidity. You, you got it coming. And some Christians are like that. And they enjoy stirring the pot. I saw a video with some Christians in somewhere in Louisiana, and there was a Christian concert playing, Switchfoot was playing. They play Christian rock music. I have no issue with Christian rock music, I enjoy it. Should I say, I write sermons to it too. But um, there were these church protesters outside the concert, and they were screaming at people going into the concert. So you've got Christians going into the concert, and the protesters, you can look this up on YouTube, they have the video, and these people are screaming at them. You're listening to the devil's music. You're going to hell, hell, hell. That's what they were saying. Just like that. You're going to hell, hell. I just played for Christy. She was like, whoa, you know. Extreme. Is that what we're supposed to do? And if you disagreed about Christian rock music, is that the way you should handle it? Is that the way you'd even begin to go about getting your message out there? You're going to hell, hell, hell. Is it possible, and I I think the answer is yes, that you could be persecuted for righteousness' sake by other believers? Other people in the church who think that you're too meek? And and, and even though you stand on the truth, they want you to be out there and in your face and give it to them. Is it possible that just because you stand for righteousness, other people in the church are going to accuse you of not being loving? In this day and age, you better believe you're going to hear that. You stand for the truth on certain hot issues, and people are going to say, you saying that is unloving. And even your family is going to turn against you on that. Jesus predicted that would happen, and we see it happening. I think the world does it to us. I think the church does it to us at times. And certainly Satan's the one stirring it all up. You can't say you're being persecuted if you are sinning. So if you're speeding down the road 20 miles over the speed limit and the police officer pulls you over and he gives you the highest possible ticket, let's say he gives you a ticket you don't even deserve. Let's say he he marks your speed down and he lies and it's even higher than what you were really going. Let's say he was a dishonest police officer and, and you got a big fine and you weren't really going that fast. Can you claim that as persecution for righteousness' sake? Oh no, no, that's not what we're talking about. I was wrestling with this one all week. I think Doug Russell's leading uh, cross-training today. Um, I don't even know if you want to go here. Could you be persecuted for political reasons and have it be righteous? Boy, I've been scratching my head on that one. If I serve this country and go to a different location and I suffer and, and even give my life, is that what Jesus is talking about? That's a good question. Because being persecuted for righteousness means I'm living like Jesus lived. I'm doing what Jesus did and I'm saying the kinds of things he said. And people don't like it, so they oppose me. If you don't think that serving your country counts, certainly we would honor you anyway because God puts governing authorities in power and we believe in the freedom this country has. You promoting freedom is an honorable thing, I want to say that. And we would still honor you. But I'm trying to think of what this means and what doesn't it mean. When you act like Jesus, and people don't like it, and they persecute you, that's for righteousness' sake. That's what we're talking about. Uh, Let's see, anything else we're talking about? No, I think that's good. Okay, Um, our problem is, we're going to get closed here. Uh, our, Our problem is, by nature, we avoid persecution at all costs. And if it happens to us, we don't rejoice in it, we complain about it. You know? Look at what they're doing to me, you know. Get on Facebook and let the world know this person did this or said this, you know. That this is what we do. We don't rejoice in it, do we? James 1 says you're supposed to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. I know you might not always feel the joy in the moment, but I think I heard Chuck Swindoll say, if I remember, I couldn't find the sermon that he did, but I think I remember him saying the word consider means you're accounting for it as joy. In other words, in your mind, you're making the mental note, this is something I rejoice in. This is something for joy. And you might not feel it, but reckon it as joy. In your mind, that might take cold logic in the moment. But you could do that. And it might lead you to joy, real joy. Because in your mind, you think, Jesus suffered for me. Now I get to suffer in His name because the servant is not greater than the master. And this is proving that I'm a servant. The insult that person at work said today is proving I belong to Jesus. Oh, it's so good. Paul said he wanted to share in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. Would you even dare to say that? I want to share in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. I really hope that at some point people insult me this week for my faith. Because it just goes to show I belong to Jesus. That's got to be one of the most foolish things I could ever say up here. And yet we'll take the foolishness of God over the wisdom of the world, right? That's got to be one of the most foolish things ever. But that's the reason you're saved. Because Jesus did the foolish thing of saying, you can crucify me if you'd like. No, actually, I've actually come here for it. Take me. The last word here is uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So now we have circled back to the beginning because it was blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now it's Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's like he's saying, if you get persecuted, I'm going to save you. You get the kingdom of heaven. Just get persecuted. You you don't earn heaven because of it, but it proves that's where you're going, because that's who you belong to. And if they persecuted him, they're going to persecute you. You don't earn it. But it does kind of prove it. Let's close with this. If you live out these qualities, yes, people will persecute you. But here's the upside of that. Verse 13. You're the salt of the earth. If you act meek and mourning, if you hunger for righteousness, if you're merciful to people, you're going to be salt. Salt does two things, right? In the ancient times, it would preserve food you act as a agent to preserve the morality in this country by the way that you live you preserve things you also season things you know salt seasons food makes it taste better some people are going to look at your life and they're going to say you're living the best life possible i want that life cuz i've tried the money part i've tried the fame part i've tried the have a big family and i found that there's some good stuff in all that but it didn't meet the need of my soul why does your soul seem so secure why and you're going to say christ he seasons my life and makes it full even in the bad times and they're going to say i got to have that jesus in my life too season my life too jesus and then jesus says you're also going to be light Because you're going to go out in your communities, and you're going to serve people and do good works for them. As we've been talking about today, even with the Northwood Share Dinner. You're going to do good works for them. And they're going to see it and go, you Christians care about people. And yes, you stand on truth, and maybe I don't even agree with all of your truth, but I can't argue with the fact that you love people well. And you let that light shine. And God will reveal the take the blinders off for the truth part. He'll He'll deal with that. You let your light shine. Um, all this is leading here. Um, Pastor Andrew talked about it during the announcements. We want to do a ten week community group called Rooted. It's a it's a basics of discipleship. Although I think it's deep enough for everybody. I, I wanted to find a study that would be good for the.